Welcome to the Agile Connect Center podcast. My name is Arnold, and together with my co-host Sean, and sometimes with the help of special guests, we discuss stories, tips, and practices that will help you deliver outstanding experiences to customers as well as your people. We do this because our mission is to reinvent the contact center world for the better. Our guest today is Lauren Reed. Friends of myself and Sean, Lauren was the former head of the contact center at NLC Life Insurance. With a passion for customers and people, Lauren was fittingly awarded the Young Leader of the Year Award in 2018 for Women in Banking and Finance, as well as a finalist in 2019 for the Financial Services Council Young Achiever Award. In this episode, we discuss her experience with Agile and the impact of it on the contact center that she was running. Also, Lauren shares some advice for anyone planning to embark on this journey themselves. We hope you enjoy the show. All right. All right. We are live. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you. Thank Welcome. you for having me. This is really exciting. Very good. Uh, equally exciting for us too. Yeah. <laughs> and can we tell people that, you know, you've just you've just got a new job? I, I'm sure we can. That, yeah, that, we have. Or, I mean, the cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> it is out of the bag now. It's all right. This isn't live, so it's fine. <laughs> Oops. Hey, it's not live. That's right. We can cut it's that okay. out. <laughs> Congratulations, though. On Thank the you. Year. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so... Hey. Have yeah. you thought about how you're going to keep up your Pilates routine in the... Uh... I, yeah, I have thought about it. I've, I've realized that I'm not very good at going in the morning because it takes me too long to cool down. Mm-hmm. So that's not an option. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to commit to nights after work and not do other things instead. Yeah. But yeah. I will I will find a way to make it work because that's important now. Yeah. <laughs> it's been my life the last <laughs> couple of months. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well, so welcome. So you're, you're here to talk about your experiences with Agile. Mm-hmm. And your specifically your experiences when you were at MLC. Yep. So maybe start there to build a bit of context to talk to us about what was the size of the contact center, kind of different functions it had in it, how many yep. people, your role, and then we can kind of kick off from there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we were we were probably going through quite a unique time during that period. So we had just announced separation from the bank and, and had started to set up what would be an independent uh, life insurance contact center. So we were probably about 70 seats at that time, people on the phones. And then we were establishing our support teams around that. So the leadership team, um, an in-house quality assurance learning and development team and a workforce planning optimization team. Mm-hmm. Um, so my role at the time was uh, I just transitioned into a new role around the time that the um, Agile 11 or the contact center came in. Uh, so I was looking after the team leaders. I was in the manager role at that time. Um, and we had an amazing head of the department, Gregor, who had uh, worked with Eduardo when I was bringing him in. Um, and part of what we were doing was we had this great opportunity to start from scratch, I suppose, when it came to mm. what kind of culture we wanted to create, what we wanted to be known for. And there was a lot of work to be done in the transition, so how we could mm. do that in the most efficient and effective manner. Uh, so I uh, was, or I always thought I was pretty open to change, and this was probably a really good experience to tell me that I probably wasn't great. <laughs> um, I... I, I suppose, had learned a lot of ways of working in the past. Um, there were good ways of working, but uh, this really challenged a lot of the views that I had and a lot of the experiences that I'd learned and I'd seen. Um, and that was really strange. Mm. Um, so I was in this position where not only did I have to sort of grapple with how do I find my new way of working and how do I fit into this new environment and be positive about it because I led a team and I wanted them to see that they had a positive leader who could embrace change but 
So whilst I was sort of going through that internal conflict, I also had to lead them through the change that they were experiencing. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that I was an early adopter. I thought some of the stuff that we were talking about was almost even like rogue, (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better word, just because I'd not experienced it before and I'd never seen it work. Mm. Um, I'd only, I suppose I'd only been, um, I'd only had the experience of seeing a really traditional contact center. Mm. So um, it was exciting. But once we started to implement some of the work, it was amazing to see the instant change that that made. Um, I suppose firstly, from a cultural perspective, was where we started to see real adjustments around, you know, just being transparent as to what we were doing, mm-hmm. not taking ourselves too seriously, having like the little emoji avatars was, you know, it was simple things, but it made a real difference because it really broke down some barriers in the hierarchy of leadership mm-hmm. and helped everyone to be on the same page and be able to contribute equal value. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was sort of my initial experience okay. with it. Yeah. And do you know what the specific challenges, I know you said you were going through, there was mm. a separation from the bank. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. And Gregor had engaged with Eduardo. Do you know what the what was he specifically looking to solve for with introducing this new way of working? Um, I think, yeah, it's a good question. There are probably a couple of things. And to be honest, I probably have not actually even asked Gregor mm. that question. So I'm just making an assumption here. That's but, okay. You can make it up. Um, Arnie, Arnie also yeah, worked there worked as well. Really so closely. if yeah. you get it wrong, Arnie can... You probably got more of the brief from Gregor than I did because you were asked to work on a lot of the agile work. But Mm. I think knowing Gregor um, and what he was really known for, it was definitely cultural. Yeah. It really, um, I mean, he he was a really well-respected leader and we thoroughly enjoyed working with him. And I think we had a good culture, like we had quite an engaged culture, but um, he really wanted to take it to the next level Mm. and and start to break down some walls. And, you know, we found that when the leadership, the sort of more senior members of the leadership team were around other members, they were probably the ones that were doing the most talking, not because they necessarily wanted to, but other people would sort of find it hard to inject their voice. Mm-hmm. And he really wanted to break that down because he wanted to hear what everyone had to say, which which was really great. Um, and I think it was also to just find more efficient ways of working and look for more ways that we could be innovative, mm-hmm. I'm guessing would have been one of Gregor's key goals with that. Because uh, previously, we've probably done a lot of projects in a waterfall manner um, which which some worked, but especially in a contact center with such a fast-paced environment, we definitely had an opportunity to move faster and learn from our employees on the phones as to where can we improve from a customer perspective, where can we improve from uh, an employee experience perspective and start to move that through at a faster process and actually see results and the team on the phones could see the results, I think that's what he would have wanted a little bit of help doing as well. Like how do we go about setting that up and making sure that we're actually delivering results and seeing a difference as opposed to just saying that we're doing new things, but it's not really changing the way we work at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's right. <laughs> I mean, well, I, was, I was overseas in Europe uh, at the time when you guys were already starting to talk about it. And sort of when I came, when I came back, Oh, this is what we're doing. <laughs> Actually, I think I had this. I think I was on holiday really at the same time, so we all got back. And Greg was right. like, "Surprise!" <laughs> so you sent you guys all. So that was our way So there was no no resistance, yeah, and we're then doing hey. this thing. it's like, oh, okay, right. <laughs> That's really cool. So you you mentioned before before I asked you that question about um yeah your your experience. Do you want to talk to us a bit more about <clears throat> what you were thinking inside when you 
when it all started to happen, what what was your journey through yeah. from that point to the to the end? Um, look, I was I was and I probably still am in a lot of ways a very structured person. I really thrived in an operational environment because I liked traditional operating rhythms. I liked sort of knowing what the answer would be or having a, a strong probability that you can predict or forecast an answer. I, I enjoyed that. I had like in the HBDI profile, I was very green, so very sequential um, and very red, so very people focused as well. But I had very, very little, almost non-existent yellow. So like not very creative and not very, um, I suppose, spatial for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. So this really challenged me in that respect. It, it, was, it was not because there was no sort of sequential manner to it, but it was this creative side that I suppose I'd never really explored before. And for me, that challenged my confidence to a degree because I didn't know whether or not I could do it. I didn't know if I had any creativity in me or I was pretty confident that I didn't. So then I suppose for the first time ever, I thought I actually might not be like I might not be good at this and, and in an environment where I yeah. felt quite confident in what I was doing before yeah. that threw me yeah. off okay. um, and threw me off because I had to lead a team of people as well and mm. sort of I thought that I had to be yeah. good at it or be seen to be good at it but what it actually taught me was that I got a lot more respect from my employees by being honest and saying like I'm actually really not good at this or I struggle with this and mm. this is not my natural area of expertise so like how can we work together or how can I learn from you if you have particular creative traits and that worked really well. That sort of really bonded us as a team. Um, I suppose, what were some of the other challenges that I had? It just were, It just seemed different in a lot of ways to what I'd been taught in an operational environment was the way to operate. Um, so, for example, when we went to visit realestate.com um, with Eduardo, that was very much the beginning of our journey. And it was fascinating to see. Mm. I, I'm a very visual person. I like to see how it plays out. And it was great. I mean, they seemed like such a highly engaged group. They had all these wonderful boards. It was really colorful. They ran their own scrums. They were self-organized. I thought, this is, this is lovely. Like, this is really great to see these, like, mature, independent people running the business and feeling really enabled to do so. And then... Uh, Dwight said to me, yeah, we don't really have workforce planning here. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, it's a bit rogue. <laughs> that, 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 like I understood the concepts, mm. but that really, that really challenged me because I started then to think about how that might work in an industry and an environment that is so heavily regulated. And we had a lot of, um, I suppose, metrics that we needed to, to hit and try and meet um, and also from a financial perspective, like how do you set up the contact center and have a really clear understanding of the approximate resources that you're going to need throughout the year so you can be really transparent with the finance team and make sure that you, you've got that. So for me, I started thinking in my head, well, how does that translate to the environment that that I worked in? And that's what sort of made me feel a bit so anxious, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word at first, because I thought that in going on this journey and trying to jump in with two feet and trying new things I would have to do everything that like that particular organization had done and it took me a while to realize that in order to be successful in the journey I didn't have to do we didn't have to do everything we just had to find our way of making it work and learn from them and be flexible and you know we were able to bring quite a bit of agility into our workforce planning team and the way that they worked and the way that they interacted with the rest of the floor and the employers which was hugely successful, but we never actually completely changed our workforce planning methodology. Mm. And, and that worked for us. So 
when I, when I got, <clears throat> I suppose when I came to terms with, it was taking pieces of pieces of information and like building your own puzzle and you know creating your own journey that that gave me more confidence I suppose in myself mm-hmm. then because I thought I can be creative now because I can be creative enough to take some information and change it slightly in a way that that will work for us and we'll try and I was always quite I suppose okay with the idea of failure on this like we'll try it and if it doesn't work we'll almost celebrate it mm. and but we'll pivot and we'll do something different or we'll stop it completely and we've learned mm. and we've done something new and we're all okay with that and we're going to move on as opposed to can't believe you did that and it didn't work yeah. it, it was it, it was a nice feeling actually and that really helped to bond the team too yeah yeah well, i thought it was really um like you know i thought it was really important that you you like the way um you know, you get, I think, I don't know if it's, it's so much that you weren't creative. I think it was just providing a really important perspective that we needed when we went through the change. Um, and I don't think we could have got to be as successful as we did without those perspectives, because mm-hmm. I think you brought a voice of um, the business as well at the same time, like where the organization was realistically at and where we could get to. It was like, if we went all this, sort of we talk about spectrum right mm-hmm. and you know it's like if we went all the way down that one spectrum i don't think we would be able to make a lot of what we did stick yeah. um, at the time so i i mean i thought it was vitally crucial mm. and, and i'm sure we'll talk about it but you know you, you became a real advocate for um agile and, and and how it works and for the whole business and you like you became a real uh, champion for it which um which which is incredible, you know, in, in the way you because you took on that journey and um, you know, took it to a place that and molded it in the right in the way that, that made sense for the organization in that context mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say I mean, whilst I wasn't an early adopter by any means, I'm a huge advocate for it now because I've come out the other side and seen how great that was for our business. Mm-hmm. But it taught me a lot about myself as well. I remember really clearly <clears throat> Excuse me. One example that I had was, you know, I mentioned before, Gregor, who was my boss at the time, he was just a highly creative being. And um, one of our other, and so is Hani, and one of our other peers, Chris as well, was just a really naturally very creative person. And I was very different in, the, in that group. I, I didn't really share that skill. I had mm-hmm. different skills. And what I thought going, at the beginning, going along this journey, was I would have to become more like them in order to be successful in this. And uh, I was actually talking to someone that was our previous head of when we were partnered with the bank. And she said to me, she's like, don't change who you are to try and be someone else. She's like, yes, they bring these great skills to the table and they're very spatial and they're very creative. But she's like, they need someone like you to be detailed and organized and to actually write down what's written on the whiteboard and maybe go away and do the actions and things like that. And, And it was just really a foreign thing that I'd, I'd not really considered before, I suppose, that I didn't have to be like them mm. to be successful. Like, in fact, I probably complimented them and they complimented me because I was able to learn from them and they could learn from me. So that was, a, I think when I understood that, I felt more confident in myself as well. It was just really overwhelming at the beginning to think that I would need to just fundamentally change the person that I am. But I, I learned 
as quickly that that wasn't going to be the case. And when I saw that, I was able to put into practice things much quicker. Mm. Mm. I think you're right. Yeah, there, there's no certain personality type that suits this mm. more. And what, even while Agile does kind of favor certain principles or values over others, there's still a place for things like documentation and, yeah. you know, order and that's those right. kind of things. And in fact, that's really important. You talked before about the spectrum. You know, there's no there's no one template for how you do this in an organization. But once you do it, standardizing that is important. So it's not chaos within your team, but finding the right yeah. way to do it in your organization yeah. is going to be different to how someone else does it. Are there so that when you're talking about the you know your personality or your preferences, just sort of made me think about are there those some common um, behaviors that you think you do that everyone does need to have from a leadership perspective when they're working in a in, in an environment like agile. Uh, I think I, I mean Eduardo talked about it a lot, and which was actually a terminology that I'd never really heard of before, and like the concept of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like. Um, Gregor might have a different opinion, but I felt like I did that well already. Like I was quite in tune with listening to my team and being connected and being empathetic and understanding like what I could do for them or what I needed to do for them to enable them to be the best that they could be. But I suppose I never really thought about it with a label. Uh, I think that's really important because it breaks down the traditional hierarchy of leadership and that, that sort of command and control. And suddenly it's not... And look, there's there's a place for that in some degree. Like you need to set some kind of strategic vision, and especially um, we found that to be quite apparent when we were a department working in isolation who was doing this agility work and setting our own strategy. We still needed to make sure that that tied into the wider business ones, although I'm aware that there are some businesses that do it all the way through and then you've got that continuity. But so there was, you know, some degree of the, you know, the top or the executive team saying that this is the strategic vision for the organization. These are the priorities. And it was then a matter of us making sure that we could link to that, but still do it in an agile format. Um, So there, there was a place for that, but it really did it changed the way that we interacted with people. Um, and I think I mentioned it before, it gave it gave everyone a voice, but that didn't happen. We always want, don't get me wrong, we always wanted to pe- hear people's voices. We weren't those kind of leaders. We loved it. But um, you kind of think that that will just happen naturally when you have an open forum and an open room and you say, right, everyone, like, what do you think? It took a while for people to actually start to speak up just because some people didn't have the confidence in themselves Mm. to speak up and and they maybe had particularly enjoyed the environment before where they could sit in the background and and not have to say much whereas this environment to be successful really forced people to have to speak up Mm. but we had to really create that change and help them to find their own voice so from a leadership perspective especially from a leader of leaders for me i had i had to have a real focus on like coaching people to help them find their voice Mm. and how do they speak up in meetings and how do we give them positive reinforcement when they do and what does that look like or how do they even articulate what it is that they're feeling Mm. or um how do they you know sort of portray what's going on in their own head in a way in which other people will understand that itself was a skill mm. that we had to learn, which was really interesting. Um, and I suppose just as a leader, being vulnerable and being open and not taking yourself too seriously and, you know, sharing when things haven't worked for you or you've struggled with things as well. Because what we found that did was people naturally 
want people naturally do want to help other people especially if you've hired for you know the particular type of person that likes working in a collaborative environment I felt like we always did try and hire for those particular individuals and the moment even as a leader you say actually I'm really struggling with this or I'm finding this really hard or I've got a lot going on even without saying can I have some help three people will put their hands up and say oh, I'd love to help or mm. I can do that and mm. We probably didn't we didn't have as much of that before again not not because people didn't want to help they did but this sort of fostered that culture which was we either all win together or we all i don't want to say fail together because mm. i just talked about fail being a good thing but mm. we're, we're all in this together so yeah. in order for us to achieve our goals yeah. we need to be able to sort of divide and you know do the work <clears throat> as a team as opposed to on an individual basis so yeah it, it changed the leadership style slightly mm-hmm. and the way in which you coach people um, and how you bring out confidence and let them have their own personality and really celebrate success as a team yeah. um, and you know, break down the concept of like the individual performance targets in a lot of ways that was a challenge too some people would say you know how do how come if I do all my work but someone else doesn't do theirs like I would be penalized for it so it's just changing it wasn't about being penalized for it. It was just changing the way of thinking. Like if you're particularly good at a <clears throat> at a certain metric, for example, and someone else in your team is really struggling, then there's a coaching opportunity for you to increase your development by helping them. Yeah. But alternatively, there's a very high likelihood that they're going to have a skill that they're incredibly mm-hmm. good at mm-hmm. that maybe you're lacking or you could improve. So it's just a mutually beneficial partnership. Mm-hmm. And it stops leadership from having to come from I remember saying a lot of times to my team, I don't care if you have the word leader in your title, you're a leader, mm. in my opinion. And, you know, we need to act like them. And that means helping and coaching and mentoring other people, even if they're your peer. Mm. And you're not a, like, <laughs> use little commas and no mm. one can say. Even if you don't have a leader <laughs> in your title. <laughs> That's right. We can describe the air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that was a failed yeah. air quote. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> So, I mean, we, you sort of touched on the topic there. Yeah. So it'd be good to look, sort of go down this path mm-hmm. around the shared KPIs because I know for a lot of people, there's, I mean, just even beyond contact centres um, with other departments, like shared mm-hmm. individual KPIs are so entrenched in, yeah. you know, traditional work, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Can I, before you jump down there, yeah, yeah, just yeah. just talk about the system of work yeah. just quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. so this would fall into what we would describe as the system of work. Yeah. So you can make a lot of positive impact with things like the agile ways of working or you know even the, the failure demand piece which we probably won't get into but I feel like the system of work is where you can make the most impact in, a, in a, any organization um, contact centers as well so this is looking at the 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 structures and system and subsystems in place that people have to work within so things like KPIs and um, rosters. Uh, rosters thank you scheduling even induction and recruiting mm. wouldn't mind actually asking you about that later <clears throat> Um, and the leadership as well as part of that. So if any of those things are out of alignment with your purpose or with the principles that you're trying to bring to life, then all the stand-ups in the world aren't going to solve for some of your issues if individual yeah. KPIs are pulling people in different directions. Yeah. So I think it's important for people to, to just be mindful of that, that the nice theatre of stand-ups is they're important, but you also have to look at your system of work as well. Otherwise, you're... Yeah, you're likely to hit some constraints that you haven't thought of. That's right. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, if you if you say you know you want more trust in your team, but you you know don't give them the uh, 
authority to even order a pen you know it's like <laughs> yeah. you put three approvals in, in, in their way it's yeah. like how can you say that you trust them yeah um and i guess same with kpis right you know we talk about collaboration in the system of work and how important we want collaboration but mm. individual kpis inevitably mm. gets in the way of of collaboration so i mean why don't you take us through that journey in terms of kpis mm-hmm. like like you know per, your perspective on individual and shared and what that journey was like for you. Yeah, sure. So uh, so one of the key ones that I suppose a lot of people do talk about in contact centre still, which is do you have it or don't you have it, is average handling time. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first things we addressed. I'd love to say I was the person that really took that away, but that was Gregor, the champion, <laughs> that in case he's listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, did, you, did you want to keep that out of interest? Um, well, look, where were you I... On that? I'm trying to think back to what my thoughts were in that at the time. There, there were definitely parts of me that did not want it and definitely saw where Gregor was coming from when it came to um, uh, it's it can drive the wrong behaviour. You know, we say to people that we really we want them to focus on the customer and what the customer has to say and giving them the best possible service, but we're still constraining the time that they can spend mm-hmm. on that within reason. Uh, I, under- I I completely understood that part of it, and I think from that part it was it was the right thing to do to remove it. My green um, brain, which was the detail, then thought about what does that mean from a forecast perspective, and how do I then go back, especially to like a finance team when we're doing an annual plan, and and help them to understand, you know, the true workload of the department and. I knew that that would be a challenge for me to be able to articulate if we didn't have anything like that. So. Uh, I saw both sides. So, I mean, we definitely came to a compromise, which is that we removed it from a team member scorecard. <clears throat> but we, we still had it there in the background. I mean, you, you still need it if you are going to do the forecasts and the demand plans. Mm, correct, yeah. Um, and, you know, it can be a, a pretty good leading indicator for some problems as well mm. in your business. But we very much focused at it from a, a resource operations management perspective as opposed to a customer experience and an employee perspective. Um and yeah, the, I think the leadership team was fairly divided with that. I think there were a lot of leaders, um, like the team leaders, that is, that were like, great, this is amazing. This is one thing that we don't have to talk about with our people anymore because they've really struggled to try and find the balance between focusing on the customer, like mm-hmm. talking to them about focusing on the customer, but also on the flip side, you know, being timely on the call. Um, and then the workforce planning team were probably having a bit more of a heart attack about it. And what if it blows out? What if our forecast is off? Um, but I, <clears throat> I saw that as a bit of an opportunity to have different conversations with the workforce planners around, you know, it's not, it, whilst it is your accountability to do the forecast and make sure that it's reasonably accurate and it's within a, within the acceptable variance, like you're not, you're not just a planner. That's not just your job. Like you're part of this team, you're part of this department, you're part of our overall success, you're part of what kind of experience we provide to our customers. Just because you're not the team leader coaching the people on the phones or the quality associate coaching them as they come into the business or doing their ongoing quality assurance, you know, you don't just do the numbers. You enable us to have enough people and the right people in the right space at the right time so we can have meaningful conversations. And it was helping them to like open their eyes and see the bigger impact that their role had, which which I think worked really well because they'd never really seen that before. They, for themselves, just assumed that they were the numbers person. As long as the numbers hit, they'd done a good job, but they had no impact on the on the people or on the customer. And when, once we helped them to realize that 
they're a really integral part of our business and without them we won't operate without them we're like we'll barely be able to take the calls like how will we how will we be able to establish ourselves around that mm-hmm. um that really changed their mindset as well so um yes yeah, so handle time was the first one <clears throat> to go i suppose it hasn't really answered the question but uh, one thing that we we did bring in was um, CSAT surveys, so asking our customers. So, what what I recognise and what you know, Gregor and Chris, I'm sure recognise as well, was that we, you know, if you ask NPS, for example, there's a lot of variable factors as to why a, a customer or how a customer feels about the organisation, whether they were holistically satisfied or dissatisfied or likely to promote them or not promote them at all. Um, but there's very limited things that are an individual in the contact center taking the call can actually do to control that. So for example, um, say an organization had sent out a whole bunch of letters that uh, weren't meant to go mm. to the right customers, mm. for, weren't meant to go to those customers, but it went to them anyway. And then the customers called up and they said, hey, what's going on? I received this letter. I don't think it's really meant for me. Perhaps their, uh, the customer's perception of the organization would not be a positive one at that moment and they wouldn't be likely to promote them going forward after that immediate interaction. However, even if they'd had a really excellent phone call with the individual that they'd spoken with, that still might not have changed their mind about the organization holistically at that time. So therefore, the team member on the phone might get penalized for like a lower MPS mm. when they've really done to the best of their ability what they could do in that reactive scenario. So we started doing CSAT assessments as well, which was <clears throat> on a rating between one to five, five being the best. How satisfied were you with the individual that you spoke with? Um, and we had a pretty good response rate on those. I think we're about double industry average and what we were getting back from those survey emails. But it still could vary significantly depending on the time that you took the call, who the caller was, you know, did they even have a, do they even check their emails regularly for it to come back? What was the demographic of the customer on that particular phone line? So many variables. So we found that there were some employees that would get lots of surveys back based on what phone line they're on and some that would get hard lady back based on their phone line. So in, we could have had individual and in the past, we probably would have had individual targets and it wouldn't have been very fair, I suppose, across the board. And again, we wanted it to be not not just focusing on you personally delivering a good experience. It was you being part of a bigger team and part of a bigger picture to deliver a good experience together. So that was our first metric that we did as an all-in for the centre. And as I mentioned previously, I think some of the feedback and the comments, which actually, to be fair, not from very many people, but from some was, you know, what if I perform really well and I get like all fives? And someone else gets all ones mm. like how does that then reflect on me mm. um, especially when it came to people's bonuses being associated with their kpis um, and we you know again the coaching conversation around helping them to understand where the opportunities are to support um, and we set some stretch targets as a department so you know we started a, at a particular number and said you know this is we sort of benchmarked it and said this is where we're at now we want to work together as a department, like every single person needs to rally behind this and do it together. So we're going to take it off individual, we're going to make it a department one, and we're going to stretch for, you know, this new number, and we're going to give ourselves sort of six months to try and get there. And what made it easier was like with the agile work that we were doing, that had encouraged us to get um, sort of more creative with the boards, and we were able to sort of visually represent that along the way. And you could see it in an in an ideal world, it moves forwards in a positive way, which it did. But even if it had gone backwards, everyone could have seen that 
and like being accountable to mm. want to improve yeah. it. But we yeah. were lucky ours move forwards. And as people saw that regardless of how well they performed, they if the whole collective mm. performed well, mm. they were still going to be able to share in that excitement. And it did naturally develop um so there's a microculture amongst the team members on, on the phones of support and coaching one another and encouraging one another to like you know be the best version of themselves that they can be on the phones and it just skyrocketed our engagement and our culture at the time and we hit a lot of those um that was a really good example of a shared metric that we really we smashed out of the water actually in the first year we significantly increased the overall customer mm-hmm. experience and um, we were able to share that with the rest of the business and say, you know, we we feel like we're doing a really good job of trying to control what we can control. And I think for the team members, that was really key for them as well, because they knew that in a contact center, there's lots of things that are outside of their control. It's an area that deals with every single area of the business. Um, but that was something that was very much within their control. Mm their willingness to help with the customer, the giving of the right information, the being friendly and empathetic in, in, a, in a very difficult environment. There were some very challenging phone calls that were had on the phone when talking to customers about insurance. And typically our customers only called us maybe once, maybe twice a year. So it was really important that we had real impact on that phone call. And it was lovely to see that move forward, but it was even nicer as a leader to see everyone's so excited and celebrating together mm. that was really cool awesome. yeah as opposed to just the leadership team celebrating mm. everyone mm. was celebrating mm. yeah so what what did you see play out when you made it shared and you talked about you know someone who maybe got a lot of fives and someone who, who wasn't <clears throat> were the teams did you set something up where the teams could then coach each other was there what what happened there to try and help improve that um yeah it's sort of Uh, So originally how we came about it was I ran some workshops that I stepped into with some of the team leaders, with the team members directly and said, you know, we're thinking about doing this. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, And that was new because we'd we'd not really run anything like that before. The scorecard had just come out and it was, this is what it is for this year. This is what we're working towards. So the, I suppose the idea that we were asking people for their opinion was a bit like a bit foreign to some of some of the mm-hmm. guys on the phones and they were excited about that and that's when I sort of heard the feedback around what if what if my scores are really great and someone else's aren't and then there were other people that were really on the bandwagon and really excited so um, yeah so when we rolled it out I spoke to the leaders about uh, area for opportunity being um, we had a lot of emerging leaders or people mm-hmm. that wanted to step into leadership roles within the department. And I, I think that spoke volumes to our yeah. culture, which was which was exciting. Mm. I said to leaders, there's, there's a good chance that there's at least one person in every single one of your teams that would like to be in a leadership role one day. And part of our responsibility is to help them and coach them and mentor them to get there. Um, this is an amazing opportunity for them to be able to really flex some of those leadership capabilities without stepping into a leadership role so we were quite creative in the way in which like we train the leaders to say get you know don't have to take all this accountability on yourselves get some of the emerging leaders to help coach and mentor and have a conversation with them and be really candid and being really transparent so this is what this is our team you know our team average is like three for example and we want to get it to a four um, these are the challenges that I'm experiencing or this is where I'd really like to get to. What are, what are your thoughts? What are you, What's your input on the team? Um, I'd really love your help with this. Like mm-hmm. I can't be everywhere at once. Um, 
would you mind, you know, spending some time also doing some coaching or having conversations or getting your peers and really being a champion for this? Great. Um, so we didn't do that for, like, I, I, I've seen it been done in the past. We have like formal champions for things. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to go out with that. I mm-hmm. wanted it to happen more organically. Mm-hmm. If, and it, it was a bit of an experiment. I didn't mm-hmm. know if it was going to work or not. But it did. It, it worked well because those people jumped at the opportunity to be able to flex and learn some leadership skills from mm-hmm. the leaders. It positioned them as a leader amongst their peers because they had a voice of influence and they were encouraging and they were helping to drive the company forward towards where we needed to be. Um, and it enabled them to learn a lot of really great coaching skills. And then they were excited when their team members I remember talking to one of the emerging leaders over coffee one day and she said to me, you know, the best feeling was that someone that I've indirectly been coaching in my team on their customer experience scores and like how to improve it, just giving them some tips and tricks, uh, received like their best weekly score ever last week and came up and was so excited to tell me about it. Mm. And I thought to myself, like, that's that person's first glimpse of how good leadership is mm. when you get it right. <laughs> like when you when you're excited like you're excited because someone in your team is excited because they've done a good thing and then this emerging leader was so excited and i thought to myself gosh that is just so nice like that's that's what it is Mm. like that's the element that's exactly what you want to bottle so um yeah so i i don't know if that answers your question i didn't i didn't have like a framework that i went out with but we just tried we tried some different things to see what would work Mm. yeah that's good love it um one of the things that we um I mean, that I, I sort of remember um, about you know, our work together was how important it was to tell our story to the rest yeah. of the organization, especially, and this is probably really good for people who probably work, might work in an organization that's probably a bit <coughs> more traditional and want, maybe want to change, but, but are still quite hierarchical. There's quite a bit of um, you know, bureaucracy in place, but for good reason as well at, at, um, in some scenarios. But I guess for... For us, um, you know, we were the only sort of department that was going through this agile change, and there was this sort of two-speed economy in a way, and the rest of the mm. organizations working one way and us working in our way. Mm. Um, so I know you were a massive champion in, for it in the organization, or you know, part of that. So, I like, why don't you take us through the thinking behind it, and yeah. you know, the what what you sort of did to to start bringing this out to the rest of the organization to you know spark something. Yeah, good. Um, so where do I start with that one? There was so much. Uh, so I suppose some context when when we really started to uh, market ourselves, for lack of a better word, and I might come back to that, um, within the organization, I'd moved into a different role by then. So uh, my boss, Gregor, that I mentioned before, he'd <clears throat> moved out into a project role and I had stepped up into his role. So part of my role um, in running the, I suppose, the whole department then was, um, marketing it and, and helping the rest of the business to understand what it was that we actually did, setting the strategic vision um, and making sure that people were aware that you know, we had a contact center, they were doing a good job, this is what the feedback coming from the employees was, this is what the feedback coming from the customers was and I, and I took that role of mine really serious t- to sort of get out there and, and market it a bit more and I was fortunate in that I have a degree and a major in marketing so I thought to myself well I can like we can brand this, like we can we can 
name ourselves. We can teach it as like uh, treat it as a brand, mm. and let's just get out there and like market it within a niche of its life. And that's what we did. So I, we kind of shamelessly would tell anyone that would listen about what we were doing, um, and uh, <clears throat> that was interesting in itself because we probably hadn't seen as much of that internal promotion. Um, and it was it was shameless, really, mm. like the way in which what we did went you about do? it. I have did, to be did honest. It, did it have a brand? It, well, I'm, we I'm had intrigued. a brand. We had we so our department. Start that again. Our department name was Insurance Direct Service, and we abbreviated that to IDS. And then IDS took off as the brand. So after this, like prior to this, was when we had done the team purpose and we had a vision, and we started sharing that with more of the organisation. Mm-hmm. So we started small. Um, I reported to the chief operating officer at the time, so he had quite a diverse team um, that I sat on. So we had administration team, there was technology, management, assurance, procurement, you know, projects, change, lots of different areas. And um, people that were experts in their own right in what they did, but you know, probably didn't really know much about a contact centre environment and how it works. So we started by just promoting to them around what it is that we're doing. Um, this is this new, exciting, agile stuff that we're doing that's enabled us to have a purpose. We've got a vision. This is some of the shared metrics that we're working towards. Um, so, and that works really well. Like we got some really great feedback from them. Um, and then that sort of just naturally sparked its own interest mm-hmm. around like, can we come down mm-hmm. and like, we've seen your photos, they look really exciting. Can we come down to your floor and have a look? Um, and because the floor was so colorful then, we had so many boards and uh-huh. there was so much activity and so much buzz. So we, we <laughs> when I say we, it was probably more Arnie, we marketed it in a different way. We started doing IDS tours. So we would actually bring, cool. Annie tried to get hats. I said no. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I drew the line of the hats. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're the one that booked them all. <laughs> what yeah, what bought, hats? I what bought, kind of hats? He just wanted a tour hat. I wanted a tour like hat. A little flag. I was writing so many of them. I thought I needed, <laughs> I needed you know, those flags when you write a tour overseas <laughs> <laughs> so I could have them. Yeah, well, we didn't, or like obviously a did colourful umbrella. But like in all seriousness, it was quite literally a tour of the business. So we would... Um, so, for example, if it was the uh, the risk team or the management assurance team, we would, when I say we, I would book it in and then lovely Arnie would, would do the tour and I would just sort of ghost in the background mm-hmm. and we would walk them around the floor and explain to them who we are, what we want to be known for, how many people are in the department, what kind of roles do we have and what have we done. So we would walk them to our real-time desk, we would introduce them to the analysts there we would talk about like just a really high level how contact centers operate and the complexity in our environment and how we can see everything down to sort of 30 minute intervals um that was really interesting for them because mm. i don't think they realized mm. like how demanding and how complex a call center environment was then we would um you know arnie was running this great piece of work around removing failure and low value work so walk and that was quite, that was always quite strategic because typically some failure or low value might have been driven from another area of the business. Mm. So we would we would bring them in and be like, hey, by the way, you actually cost us like $700,000 last year. Like, please, please work with us to improve that. <laughs> Which was, mm. But yeah. they appreciated that because they yeah. pretty, appreciated our honesty and, and the work that we'd done. Uh, we'd walk them over to the 90-day planning board and talk them through the current work that we were doing where we're up to in the sprints, just explain to them how the format worked. A lot of questions we got are, what are those little avatars? There are people, <laughs> um, they're the people working on it. Uh, where else Where else would we take them? We just, Our daily stand-up, yeah, you know, how yeah. we plan for the day, and yeah. There was heaps. Brilliant. Um, and, and that just grew, and it just 
absolutely like wildfire. They would talk to other people. People would contact me. They'd contact Arnie. They'd contact the rest of our leadership team and say, can we come into a tour? Like someone did a tour last week and I overheard them talking about it and it was so cool. And can we, like, can I bring my whole team? And it was infectious. Um, one other thing that I did probably more on the marketing side for me personally was I sent out a weekly email. Um, originally it was just for the department each week on a Friday. I called it the week that was and what's ahead. And it talked about what we did as a business. And and for me, because there were so many people in the department, it was about 130 people at this time, there was no way that I could get around to all 130 people and have really long, meaningful conversations with them every week. Mm. I would love to, if I was paid to just do that, that would be the dream job, but, but I couldn't. So I wanted people to hear my voice and what I did, because I'm sure a lot of the employees looked to me and was like, what does she, what does she do all mm. week? Um, you know, she doesn't take calls and she I doesn't go to that. Yeah. <laughs> Even my director wants one of that. There you go. Except for booking your tours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was my way of showing them what I was doing and the work that I was working on, perhaps what my boss at the time, Jared's team were doing, what was happening in the wild, wider business and celebrating some of the wins that we'd had at a department. Um, and then at the very bottom of it, just talk about what I was doing on the weekend and, you know, put a photo of my sister's dog or something like that. Mm-hmm. So a bit random, but I then started increasing my stakeholder network list on that. So, you know, like the um, CC list became longer and longer right. each week. And I started putting a whole bunch of my stakeholders that I had regular catch-ups with on there and um, use that as a bit of a promotion. We talk about the tours in there and then they would forward that email on to other people. And then that's how we would get contacted about coming down. And, and <clears throat> I put a lot of pictures in that as well. <laughs> the team used to laugh at me that it was like an essay and I was gonna crash the server every week by sending it out <laughs> because it was so long <laughs> and there were so many pictures. But there were always pictures of stuff that we were doing. There were new walls that we'd put up. They yeah. were um, fun engagement activities that they run. We'd run like hot dog day or something like that and they'd be in there and that sort of built a lot of buzz and excitement around it as well and got people mm-hmm. coming down. So yeah, there was, there was a couple of things that we, we did, but it was word of mouth really helped. Mm-hmm. And eventually we uh, started, I suppose, to move up into more senior management and doing that. And, and once we presented to my boss's LT, and when I say we, I always tried to take a real back seat and let the team present because I felt like at my leadership team, all my peers knew me, but they didn't know my team necessarily. So that wasn't my time to shine. That was their time to shine. So my boss said, actually, I think you should come and present this to the CEO and to the executives because I think this will be really fun. And we came out of the room and we all said to ourselves, do you reckon we should turn down the presentation or maybe, you know, not show the slide where we've got our heads on like power, the Power Rangers and like it was, it was really like amateur hour sort of Photoshop. Like it was, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and it was we just amazing. thought, um, maybe, maybe uh, we just like won't show the Power Rangers yeah. slide <laughs> and a whole bunch of other stuff to the executive team. And my boss was like, no, do not change a thing. Mm. Keep it as exactly as it is come in, be yourselves, be fun, be engaging. And we did that. Like we, we had, some, you know, Arnie went out and got some software, which is sort of the the advanced version of um, like a PowerPoint and it's like a video and, and it looked fantastic. So mm. we sort of made it look a bit more sophisticated in that respect, but we still left all the funny factors on there and, and what made us us as a team. Mm. And they loved it. They had an absolute ball and they they laughed. I'm sure they laughed at us and with us mm. at the executive mm. table but 
they listened to us and most of them said to us after like what can we do to support you and your team and can we send some of our teams down or can you come and present to our leadership teams about what you're doing and you know what the customers are saying and what the employees are saying and we built a, a huge brand around it and it was exciting like we thrived mm. off that mm. so that's um, awesome yeah there, I, there's you go you no go. I, I was just gonna say like the it like an important note in all that is that um, like we were having fun, mm. but we were also like smashing yeah. our results as well. Yeah. Like yeah. we had great engagement, had great customer satisfaction. We were yep. hitting our metrics, you know, we were, um, you know, all, all those sort of things like just sort of showed to the rest of the business that you, you could have a bit of fun as well, like and yeah. be very engaged, but yeah. still perform mm. really well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was important to note that it yeah. wasn't just yeah, all, only one game. That bit. Yeah, we actually did a good job. It's not all power rangers. That was, that that was, yeah, look, there was that yeah. too. But yeah. we we had no choice but to adapt. We had a department of 130 people, 99% of which were millennials. Mm. It's an entry-level point to the organisation, people that have left school, people that have left university. And uh, it wouldn't have worked if we didn't sort of try to innovate and interact with each other like they do in mm. their personal lives as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, most of myself and my leadership team, we were millennials as well. Yeah. We were the topper end of the demographic, but we were, <laughs> we were still, we just snuck in, in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that worked because we could, yeah, be, we could be serious and get a lot of work done, but we could have a good time and yeah. relate to people mm. Um, and, and that really worked for us. And yeah. we got a lot of people both inside and outside of our department wanting to learn mm. more and find out more. And yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. I was going to say, my t- that was my takeaway is that you, you was genuine and you were having fun. Like yeah. you made it your own, but you were you found a way to demonstrate to the rest of the organization the value that you were creating. And I think a lot of contact centers struggle to find a way to do that, Yeah, particularly when and, and I've you know, had the opportunity to talk to quite a few contact center managers in the last few months and they often say, well, how do you get teams outside of the contact center to help you with the things you can't control? Yeah. And it sounds like you were able to do that. Like mm-hmm. this journey that you went on, you were able to do that in a way that really changed the view of the contact center from a cost center um, or just simply a place where you service customers to a place where you create value and you've got this continuous improvement mindset that then allows you to go to the rest of the organization and say, look what we do, here's the value that we create. Yeah. This cost us $700,000 last year. <laughs> how can you help us or how can we work together to try and improve it for, for the customer? So I just, there's so many awesome things in there. Yeah. That's just brilliant. Well yeah. done. Great yeah, story. Yeah, really exciting. Mm. Yeah, I think like, um, like one of the key impacts I think from all the marketing and the branding that we did was that like we, we had initiatives with other areas because all of a sudden they realized, yeah. oh, we need to do something to help our customers. Mm. And the contact center has a lot of information about how to do that. So we need to engage them and mm. do something together. Mm. We had, you know, technology teams, yeah. IT teams come to us and say, hey, tell us what the customers are saying about this problem that yeah. we're trying to solve. Yeah. Can we yeah. fix this for The you? tech teams were so great. That was sort of yeah. the most, um, I suppose the most different partnership that we'd seen and they you know Matt who was the CIO at the time phenomenal he was one of my peers and he just said to, to his team like you need to go down there and spend time with them what they're doing is really cool but you also need to come back and tell me what we're going to do 
to make their lives easier. And yeah. like they were, like Matt was a legend. Like he would come down and actually call customers, <laughs> call customers yeah. back who had potentially sort of said that they weren't thrilled about our technology. And mm. he would say like, this is my role. This is what I'm responsible for. Thanks for your feedback. It's been really great. If you've got 10 minutes, I can talk mm. to you about what our roadmap is for our new technology and what it is that we're focusing on. And like, I can tell you right now that your feedback won't fall on death ears mm. and I will um, make sure that I listen to this. And it was really cool. Like mm. we'd never had that before either. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a good partnership. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> what else, Arnie? Well, I mean, like what, what for you, I mean, you know, there's going to be people who are probably in a similar stage to where you've been perhaps mm. in the past yeah. and, and thinking about, you know, what does, what can Agile do for me? Maybe some concerns about it as well. Like you've spoken a bit about that as well. Yeah. What What would you say to you know those those sort of people who are kind of thinking about it but really reserved, hesitant, unsure? Like you know, before they embark, what do they need to do? What do they need to think about? Or, mm. yeah. uh, that's a great question. Uh, like do it. But if I if someone had said that to me, just do it. But if someone had said that to me back still, then, I probably you know still would have struggled. Mm-hmm. So um, I suppose my advice would be you know talk to people that have been through that experience. Like I'm very happy. Like I'll talk to anyone that will listen really about anything. So anyone can contact me and and talk to me. But yeah, uh, yeah I we we went like I said we went to realestate.com and we spoke with people there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Eduardo was someone that had implemented a lot of that there. Uh, I'm trying to think, I probably didn't have many examples to chat to people who had already done it, who had struggled or who uh, were not an early adopter, which is probably more of the category I fell in. So what would have been really beneficial to me and so my advice to other people would be like, go and try and seek out some people that have been through that journey. Mm. And uh, if you have hesitations or if you're not sure, like speak to someone about it that shared them. Mm -hmm. And I've had the experience to be able to do that recently. And um, mm. It was great because it really like helped to sort of iron out a few things. It's like, yeah, I felt that way too. Like, you know, this is how I got around it. Or alternatively, yeah, I felt that way. And look, to be honest, I didn't change that component of the business because that just wasn't right for us at the mm. time. Or um, taking small steps yeah. as well, I yeah. suppose, is my advice. Like yeah. just yeah. just try it. Let, it. let it pan out. If it works, great keep doing it if it's not right for your business in for whatever reason you don't have to do it like Mm. you know your business better than anyone you know what your obligations are you know what needs to be done um but yeah still try new things you know don't limit yourself to new possibilities but find ways of working uh within your environment and within your business and what you will find which is what i found is when things you try it and it doesn't break and like the world doesn't fall over you think oh that wasn't too bad mm. i'll do it again and mm. then like i became pretty rogue towards the end like we used to joke like the team used to joke at me like that they were a bit more rogue and i wasn't rogue and i was like the very conservative one and then i remember saying a couple of things so towards the end of the team would be like wow lauren that was that was really rogue <laughs> like <laughs> that was that was not at all what i expected from you like maybe, maybe we can't quite do that yet but you build your own you build your own confidence for wanting to try things but mm. You just have to start small. Mm. And when you start to see things working or you see things improving or even when you try it and it doesn't work, but you feel confident that you've 
you can pivot really quickly mm. and it's not detrimental to the business in any way, you still feel confident to want to go and try something again. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, if you're a leader that really cares about people and really cares about customers and you see it working in those areas, you you naturally want to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah start small, but do it, make it safe. So, yeah, yeah short cycles, learn. Yeah, and then try again. Yeah, and build momentum up. Yeah. I think that's a. I think that was a great way to perhaps end this yeah. conversation because we do need to let you go. Yeah. But um, I thought that was that was that really was brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Was there any last shout-outs from you, Lauren? Anything? Anything you'd like to leave us with or? Um, I well, thank you for the opportunity to come in. I'm mm. obviously huge advocates for what you guys do. Like it really. It really helped us shape and create something that we were really proud of. And we were proud of what we were doing previously. We felt confident in our leadership abilities. But, you know, I, I really look back on the highlight of my career and where I was having the the most fun and, you know, radical change and a leadership team that was just truly amazing. And that was during that period. Like we had some amazing wins and we made and helped create this amazing culture and this fantastic team with a great brand. And that taught me a lot about myself as well. So that, you know, that time in my life has been one of the real highlights in my career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so thank you. Thanks awesome. for being a part awesome. of that. And, now and thanks to, for having me. Yeah, on to create more highlights. Onto, yeah, yeah, on to create new highlights. Brilliant. All right. Well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. We'll get you on again at some point, I'm sure. Very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode. For more content like this, subscribe to this podcast on anywhere that you get your favorite podcasts. Your support helps us continue to create content like this. And for other resources and for more information, you can check out our website at www.theagileconnectcenter.com.au.